0: This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is John chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, can be found on page 901 in your black-covered Bibles. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me.
2: Good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, welcome. Or if you're new with us or visiting, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll just get rolling. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it's just really, really, really clear to me as we were worshiping that without the presence of your spirit in this place, we're just delivering information this morning. I could be reading a recipe card if Holy Spirit, you don't show up and do work in this place. Spirit of God, convict the proud, comfort the weary, strengthen the weak. Spirit of God, show up, I ask, I beg. We have zeal to know you, to be transformed by you, to look on your word with joy Let us see Jesus Christ this morning, Holy Spirit. Would you glorify Christ in our hearts this morning? Would we see him more clearly? Would we love him more richly and fully? Walk us through this text. Walk us through your word. Plant it deep in our hearts in ways that transform us from the inside out, I ask in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, about a year and a half ago, I preached. I preached from Isaiah six, and Isaiah six is this really interesting scene where we get kind of brought into this throne room scene with the living God. It's kind of wild. It's interesting. There's crazy, kind of unrealistic creatures flying around while they're covering their eyes, and they've got like six wings apiece, and there's thunder and lightning and smoke and this giant throne, and and. And altogether, it's, it's a pretty daunting picture of the glory of God, of the majesty of God, of the power of God. And it's daunting to think about even touching it in a sermon or trying to like bring our hearts into a space where we're seeing it and loving it. And it's having an effect on who we are. And the text we have today about the spirit of God being given to us is bigger and better and more beautiful than that. It's more powerful in my heart. It was more daunting to meditate on. It was more daunting to like reject my flesh that wants to minimize it and think of it as no big deal. But to see the Trinity unveiled and unfolded over and over and over again throughout these chapters of John is more powerful and daunting and unreal and majestic and glorious than that scene from Isaiah 6. Today's text is impossible without thinking about the love of God. Today's text is impossible without divine love. Today's text is impossible to understand without understanding triune love. The language in this section of John's Gospel is full of Trinitarian realities. We see God the Son talking about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit together in these verses. It is complex, it can be confusing, and the sad thing is, is that it will be boring to us if we let it be. That's, that's actually our biggest problem, is that this kind of thing tends to not arrest us. That's our biggest problem. The biggest problem in our lives is not political, and it isn't financial, We see that the biggest issues in our lives are love problems. They're actually issues of love. Those are the biggest problems in our lives because instead of loving the glory of God, we tend to automatically drift towards loving pizza or clothing and cars. Instead of loving God, we love dirt and drugs and euphoria. We were created to experience the love of God the Father the same way that the Son has experienced the love of the Father from all eternity. But we love God's stuff instead of loving God. And when we love God's stuff more than Him, we're loving ourselves. 2 Timothy 3 says it like this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. We have some times of difficulty right now. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers, uh, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of, pre- of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. The kind of love that Jesus talks about here and he continues to describe in the chapters of John is the kind of love that creation is for, that creation is meant for, is created for. The love that Jesus wants for his sheep and has for his sheep is the triune love that motivated creation from the beginning. Theologians have long compared God to a fountain. Okay? To a fountain. And that means not a pond. Right? The, The theologians compare or liken God to a fountain because a fountain is effusive. It pours forth, it spills out by definition. God is love and the universe exists because that love is generously spilling out over the edges of cosmic reality. A loving spilling forth of God's love and glory to be shared with his creatures is the why behind all of creation. But, but something went really wrong. But something went really, really wrong. And as Michael Reeves puts it, <clears throat> it was not that Adam and Eve stopped loving at the fall of man. When sin entered the world, it isn't like Adam and Eve stopped loving. They were created as lovers in the image of God, and they could not undo that. Instead, their love turned They were created as lovers in the image of God, but their love turned. And we see at the fall of mankind, human beings didn't stop being loving beings, but our love curdled and went sour and turned and spoiled. Now we're bent inward. We're bent and we aim our love at ourselves instead of aiming it at the triune God of love. Still, Still, it perplexes me to think about how God gives us instructions and commandments related to telling us to love God, right? It's interesting. It's vexing. Why on earth is the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? Could you imagine giving that kind of command to your children, right? Like commanding affections out of your children, But that's exactly what Jesus does for us. In Matthew, we read the great commandment in chapter 22, and that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And in our text today, love is what we read about. And I only want us to ask two basic but complex questions about love today. I want us to ask, what does love have to do with the commandments of Jesus and I want us to ask how how does love have to do with the commandments of Jesus? What does love have to do with obedience? Here I want us to turn to Mark's gospel really quick. So turn to Mark 12:21 or 12:29 rather. It's on page 849 of the Bibles in your pew. In this moment, Jesus is asked a question, he's asked Which commandment is the most important of all the commandments? And Jesus answers. Jesus answers that question. He tells us. He says, the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love with your soul, love with your mind, love with your heart, and love with your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't a job description for, job, for God's workforce, right? This commandment to love above all else is not some new invention that God wants us to participate in. It's actually what we were created for in the first place. We, weren't created, we, were, we were created in order to love God and experience His extravagant, gushing, divine love for his creation. The relationship of creature and creator was never meant to be a relationship like a boss and an employee. Ever. Ever. It was meant to be an overflow of Trinitarian love. What does that mean? It means that the eternal Father and the eternal Son and the eternal Holy Spirit have existed in perfect love and harmony for eternity, right? And that's what we're made to behold and be a part of. Meditating this week on the Trinity has had my jaw on the floor consistently, consistently. You see... Your love for the Father is what allows you to be in relationship in a relationship of obedience with Him. Your love for the Son is what allows you to be in a relationship of obedience with them. It's in in, in the new creation work where you get to enjoy that obedience. Is the Holy Spirit inside of you? God's not a general and He isn't a drill sergeant. He's a Father. He's first and foremost a father. He's a father. And he isn't the kind of father like our fathers, okay? God's, God's fatherness is eternal. It's eternal. He, it's always been a part of who he is. Saying that is to make the point that God's nature as a father existed before a single father ever existed on earth, okay? Okay? Adam sinned and mankind fell into sin before he ever had any children. So we've never had an example in all of like human history of a perfect sinless father, right? The example of a father that we need to draw from is God himself. And he's a giver and a lover and a spilling forth of love and life kind of father, We tend to automatically assign characteristics of our earthly fathers to God, and that's an error, okay? That's an error. Maybe your father was harsh and cruel. I don't know everybody's story here, but in a room this big, I'm sure there's a few of us in that category. Perhaps your father was abusive or demeaning. Maybe your father was lazy and gave up on being a good dad, Maybe he was a shallow man or a sinful man or lacked any substance or depth of character. Or even worse, maybe your dad was just literally gone because he left you and your family at a young age. I often am sitting with people where we lament those stories because they're not rare in our body. And the failures of fathers have a unique power of tragic reality in our lives. The failure of fathers is a uniquely powerful tragedy and has uniquely enormous negative impact on us and our church and our society as a whole. And it's not how it's supposed to be, right? So I get the, I get the joy and the opportunity this morning to look at a room like this and say, Hey, God's not like your father. God's not like your father. And that's a good thing. God's not like your dad. Even the best dad is simply corrupted. And he's just an image of the original. God was a father before fathers ever existed. That's why we must resist using our earthly fathers as templates for the fatherness of God. God. I want us to think about this because the Father, Son, and Spirit are woven throughout these chapters, and I want us as a body to get good at noticing and interacting with all three persons of the Trinity. And here, we see a few sentences above in verse 10 that Jesus says, I am in the Father, and and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. You can't separate love for all three members of the triune God. In this section of John especially, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's unavoidable. There's an interconnected reality to to where our love adheres and how we're acting, how we're behaving, how we are living. Jesus is in a very real way the king of the universe. That's true. He's lord of everything. He does not need to explain himself or give us any reason for why we should obey him, right? But he takes the opportunity here to reveal to us our own hearts. He pulls back the curtain on how human beings function in relation to God. He tells us plainly here that obedience is what love looks like obedience to Jesus is what love for Jesus looks like. And we have to be honest with ourselves that we don't easily believe that. I don't easily believe that. I mean, who wants to claim that they love God and don't want to do what he says? Who's claiming in their lives right now to have much affection or allegiance to Jesus but doesn't want to obey him? Who in this room is saying, I love Jesus, but I don't want the Bible to be my supreme authority on what I should or shouldn't do with my life. Many of us will be tempted to say that we love God, but don't have any intention of obeying what he tells us to do in his word. And doing that, that, that concept, that reality of loving him and having no intention of obeying him is impossible. Those two things cannot coincide at the same time. Yeah, and in a moment like this, I want to ask, Like, what is love to you? How do you know that someone loves you? Is it because they tell you that they love you? Is it because they, they, they buy you chocolate or gifts? Is it because of how they make you feel? How do you know? How do you know? And what if I said to you that obedience to the living Christ is actually the most loving thing you can do for any other human being? the most loving thing that you can do for any other human being. What would you say to that? How would that feel? In this passage alone, Jesus tells us in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And negatively in verse 24, it says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. It's plain as day in this text that if we have issues obeying the Bible, we have a love problem. We have a love problem. If we have issues with people using the Bible to give us counsel, we have a love problem. If we find ourselves bristling at the words of Jesus It's because we have a problem with how love and our desires and hopes and worship are interacting together. Our behavior is an expression of love. What we say, how we act, what we give ourselves to should actually expose to us what we're loving, what we're loving. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and you'll act like it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you'll do something about it. It will impel or compel you to action. You'll see it. You'll do it. Love commits to action. You can't actually help it. Mark 12 is really helpful because it explains something to us. It explains our love and our actions are woven together. They are woven together. Whatever it is that you're giving yourself to, you're in some or to some degree loving that thing. You're acting, behaving, using your strength in your life to show your love for something already, already. The truth is, the truth is that what Jesus says here in Mark 12 isn't even unique to Christians. This isn't some unique Christian thing, okay? Everyone's already obeying something, okay? Everyone, everyone, they're already obeying whatever they love, either themselves to idolatry which looks like greed and immorality and bitterness and envy and deceit, to name a few, or they're obeying Jesus. We're always believing something. We're always valuing something, trying to experience acceptance and meaning from something. That's how we are wired. You right now are using your mind and using your heart and using your soul to be filled up and satisfied and content in and through something or someone. The, 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 the fact that you're giving all of yourself to something is, um, is inarguable. We can't not worship. We can't not worship. It isn't whether you'll love this way. It, isn't, whi- it isn't, isn't whether you'll love this way. It's which God will you love? Will you love the true God in Christ? Or will you aim your loves at your idols? It's really plain. We can't not obey something. We can't not obey something. And often you'll find friends and, the, and people in the world who don't believe in Jesus, they're actually more honest about this than Christians are. They know that they're living for themselves. Right for their own pleasure or satisfaction or self-actualization or money or power or control, you name it. They know, they actually know how to love something with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength already. They do it all the time. They live that way because they love to, because those things are connected whether or not we like it, whether or not we want to admit it. No one's oppressing people to make them idolaters. They're by nature and choice lovers of sin and lovers of idolatry. Christians are loving Jesus when they joyfully listen to him and trust him and do what he says to do. We demonstrate this by our obedience. Listen, you don't have a choice. You're going to be overtaken. You are going to be overtaken and compelled by someone or something that you're obsessed with in your life. You can't help it you can't help it. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that the love of Christ compels him or controls him. And I want to say that if it isn't the love of Christ controlling you, it is the love of something. And Jesus helps us here understand ourselves. If we find ourselves kicking against that reality or kicking against his instructions, that should be a blinking light on the dashboard of our, our hearts. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are called stiff-necked and stubborn. And that's us. And that's us. We must see our own stubbornness because then we have the opportunity to resist it, to turn from it, to change, to repent, and turn back to Jesus, to obey his word, to live out of our love for him instead of acting like our old selves who were slaves to loving sin and loving our idols. So the answer to the first question, what does love have to do with the commandment of Jesus? And the short answer is everything. Everything everything. At every moment of our lives, we are lovingly obeying Christ or we are drifting into disobedience and love of self. In short, disobedience is idolatry. Unbelief is idolatry. It's loving, pardon me, it's loving something else and worshiping in our actions something other than the living God. Obeying Christ in faith is the way that you love him. It's the way that you delight in him. And loving God is the first side of the coin to loving other people. That shows us that obeying Jesus is how you love others in your life. That is how Jesus loves us. And get this, by obeying the Father, Christ proves to the world that he loves God the Father. Even Jesus demonstrates love through obedience. Would we be any different Right? Verse 31 of chapter 14 says, but I do as the father has commanded me that the world may know that I love the father. So Jesus obeys God the father and goes to the cross in a loving act of obedience to his father and in an insane act of grace and mercy and kindness and sacrifice to all of us. It's aimed in two directions. Now the second question, how? How? How does love have to do with the commandments of Jesus? And I word it that way on purpose because we need a plan. We need tactics. We need a strategy. We need to have some idea of how we plan to do this, how we plan to obey him. The how really matters. And I word it that way because I want us to not rely on our own strength to accomplish these things. I want us to rely wholly upon the Holy Spirit. Let me clue you into something if you haven't found out yet in your life. You you can't do what it takes. You can't. You don't have what it takes to be the kind of Christian that you want to be. You don't have what it takes to be the kind of husband or wife or father or mother or friend that you want to be. You just don't. You just don't. Let me help you by being really plain there. You can't do it. But the Spirit of God in you can and does. Jesus calls the spirit of the living God, the helper in this text, and he does it for a reason. If you haven't found out yet, you need help. You need help. I need help. We, as a family of God, need a lot of help. And the kind of help that we need is the only way to live the Christian life. We read in the section of John for the first time that the helper or the comforter will be given to the disciples. The spirit of truth will be given to them from the Father in a newer and deeper way than what we have seen throughout the story of redemption up until now. This is Trinitarian. God the Father loves the Son and is in the Son. And the Son is in the Father. And the Spirit is radiating in power and love between them. And now we get to have that very same spirit. Hey, the, the, the God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit were there at creation. They did it. God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit were there when Jesus started his ministry. And in your heart and life in new creation, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit is there doing that work inside of you. We are in full and clear demonstration, welcomed into the very life of God in these verses. The Trinity has existed in perfect loving commun- communion always always. The Father was never created. The Son was never created. The Spirit was never created. But they've existed since eternity past in perfect, powerful, loving communion with each other. That's insane. That's wild. We should freak out about that. It's at this point in the history of redemption that mankind is restored to the relationship that he was created for. You see, in Adam, we were all separated from participating in this Trinitarian love. And in the new Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, that relationship has been restored forever, forever. He's restored the creature's enjoyment and experience of Trinitarian love that burst Forth into creation in the beginning it 's okay to be astounded right now, and if you find yourself not astounded, man, ask the Holy Spirit to change that. Ask God to soften your heart, ask God to cut calluses off your taste buds, like we as I meditated on this uh, this text this week, man, I got so um, convicted by how rote or ritualized or boring these texts can be. And they are nothing less than magnificent. Magnificent. It's unreal. I've had the hardest time wrapping my brain around it. What's true about the Trinity is true about every single believer. Jesus has loved us and sent us out by the power of the Spirit, the same way that God the Father loved the Son and sent him out by the power of the Spirit. Jesus has torn the veil by having his own body ripped wide open. In the story of God's people, there were priests and sacrifices and barriers that God established, but now through Christ, all those structures and barriers are removed. Jesus fulfills Everything from the Old Testament, and through his broken body and shed blood, now we have the Spirit of God inside us. Unreal. Unreal. Different traditions, okay, so different traditions in different eras of the church put different emphasis on different persons of the Trinity, right? I grew up charismatic. We put a lot of emphasis on the Spirit of God. Different people grew up in different traditions that that, that maybe talked about God the Father a ton. Maybe you talked about uh, God the Son and Jesus Christ a ton. But what I want us to get good at is noticing which person does what. And in doing that today, what we're going to focus on in the next five minutes is just... These are all the things that the Holy Spirit does for you, through you, and in you. So just bear with me. The Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, John sixteen eight. The Spirit guides us into all truth, John sixteen thirteen. The Spirit regenerates us, John three, five through eight. The Spirit glorifies and testifies of Christ. The Spirit reveals Christ to us and in us. The Spirit leads us. Romans 8 14. The Spirit sanctifies sanctifies us. Second Thessalonians 2 13. The Spirit empowers us, Luke 4. The Spirit fills us, Ephesians 5. The Spirit teaches us to pray, Romans 8. The Spirit bears witness with us that we are children of God, Romans 8. The Spirit produces in us the fruit or evidence of his work and presence, Galatians 5. The Spirit distributes spiritual gifts and manifestations of his presence to and through the body of Christ, that's 1 Corinthians 12. The Spirit of God renews us, the Spirit of God sets us free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of God quickens our mortal bodies. The Spirit of God reveals the deep things of God to us. The Spirit of God reveals what has been given to us from God, 1 Corinthians 2. The Spirit dwells in us, Romans 8. The Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ, 2 Corinthians 3. The Spirit cries in our hearts, Abba, Father, Galatians 4. The Spirit enables us to wait, Galatians 5. The Spirit gives us access to God. God the Father, Ephesians two, the spirit reveals the mystery of God to us. the Spirit strengthens our spirits Ephesians three, the spirit confesses that Jesus came in the flesh, first John. the spirit dispenses god 's love into our hearts. The spirit teaches us. the Spirit gives us joy. The spirit enables some to preach the gospel. The spirit moves us. the spirit knows the things of God. The spirit casts out demons. The Spirit brings things to our remembrance. The Spirit comforts us. The Spirit works all things for us and unites our hearts to Christ. The Spirit breathed out from the living God and gave us this. Right? The Spirit of God breathed this out for us. The Spirit makes us love God and love obedience to Christ, enjoy it, and it empowers us to do it. That list is far from inexhaustible. The Spirit does so much throughout the the New Testament, especially and this is a reminder. It's a reminder to us, like one scholar says, that the function of the Holy Spirit isn't restricted to just giving you gifts or the production of Christ-like character, but it's, it also gives you the creation of intimacy with Jesus himself as well. The Spirit ushers us into communion with all of who God is for you. All of them. This is the kind of intimacy with co- and communion with Jesus that you need to see your obedience grow. Loving Christ looks like growing in obedience to the Bible and, it's, and it isn't hypocrisy. Jesus was clear. You can dot all the I's and cross all the T's and still be a whitewashed tomb. That means it is possible to clean up nice and still be full of rancor and hatred of God on the inside. It's possible to be gleaming white on the outside and full of rotten flesh and bones on the inside. In fact, even the demons, even the demons demonstrate a kind of reverence and respect when they encounter Jesus. Demons appeal to his strength and they use honorific titles like Holy One of God when they speak to Jesus. So that should be like a warning to us that there's a way that we can go about this that is empty. There's a way we can go about this that is is not full of love for God. I think of the warning from Matthew where he says... Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But let me also read from Romans 5, where it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and that hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love, the kind of love I'm talking about here, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. That presence, the presence of you loving God in your affections, in what you aim at, in your zeal, is something that God did for you. Something that God did for you. And it's Trinitarian. The love of God, the Trinitarian and eternal love of God gets into our hearts from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit connects you to the triune community of the Godhead that's astounding. And it means, it means that the mechanism, the mechanism that stabilizes your heart in the midst of tumult and challenge and persecution and everything that tugs at your soul to get your attention off of Christ and onto your circumstances, everything that helps you stay fixated on Jesus comes from the spirit of God. The spirit of God comes into your being and gives you what you need to love God as well and to walk in a way that pleases him. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to send you a helper. That's how it's going to work. That's what you will rely on. That's whose power you will rely on. That's how you'll be able to do this impossible thing that I'm telling you to do. So do you find yourself stuck in besetting sin this morning? Do you find yourself entrenched in enmity or envy or strife this morning? Do you have friction or hostility? Or are you opposed to one of your brothers or sisters this morning? Do you find yourself dabbling with the works of the flesh this morning If you feel even a tinge of conviction, thank God for it and repent. Confess your sin, turn from your sin, and get allied with the Spirit instead of against the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians 5. It's page 975 in your Bibles. I'm going to start in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you actually want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these kind of things won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So the appeal this morning, the appeal this morning, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, is to, is to ask the Spirit of God to shine more light on the places that we are, are going against the grain and not in step with the Spirit of God. Because we have the opportunity there from the example in Galatians 5 to repent, to turn, to drop it, to drop it, to reconcile with our brothers and sisters, to give up on our own plans and devices. Let me read. Let me read a portion of John again as I move to close. I'm going to read from verse 25. These things I have spoken to you that while I am still with you, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit who Who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the helper that makes the Christian life possible, that can reject the deeds of the flesh and get in step with and be allied with the Holy Spirit as we walk in the Spirit. If you love Jesus this morning, if you have joy in your heart at the concept of being in step with the spirit and in submission and obedience to Jesus, I want you to come forward and eat uh, the meal this morning, eat his uh, flesh and drink his blood this morning. Because when we take communion, we as a body of believers aren't just going through an empty ritual. We're proclaiming collectively, this is it. This is all we got. This is everything. We proclaim that out to the world week after week after week after week. This is where the body proclaims together until Jesus comes again. Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Christ's life, death, resurrection, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Like this reality that we do every week is the entrance of how we've entered into communion with the very life of God. Very life of God. This isn't like a club. This isn't where we all come up and, 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 um, you know, like say the motto of our company or something like that. Like this is the pathway to life in communion with the Trinity through a broken body and shed blood and Christ ripping the curtain that is his body, unveiling the Holy Spirit for us to be in us, with us, empowering us to live in obedience to the Father and Son. So if you're a Christian this morning, we invite you to come take communion because that's how you proclaim that. The way we do communion here is we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into the cup. The stoneware cup is wine and the glassware is juice. We will have one station to my right, a station to my left, and we'll have a a station here in the center that is gluten-free and single-serve. And we'll also have a station up in the balcony. And every single week at communion, we also have people who gather over here to the left underneath this window who just want to pray for you, for whoever's here. They want to pray for you. We we, um, We all have the opportunity to admit that we would never admit that we don't need prayer, and you can do that over here or you can do that with someone that you're sitting next to. Um, I'm going to pray for us as the communion service come forward. And then I would invite you to come forward and eat in faith and proclaim the beauty of this reality. So let's pray. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God. The, the Holy Spirit that is a person. Do work in our hearts and souls right now. Help us to believe more than we believed when we got here. Help us to live fully overwhelmed and compelled by this powerful, cosmic, majestic love that that you have with the Father and the Son. Like, we want to taste that. And we want to taste more of it and more of it and more of it. Would you give us new eyes to see you Spirit of God, would you glorify Christ in our hearts that we would love Him more, obey Him more, um, stare at Him and, and be, be uh, in awe of Him in deeper and fuller and richer ways than when we woke up this morning? And I actually do it through the reality of t- coming forward and eating the body and, the, and, and drinking the blood, like the juice and the wine. The fact is, Jesus. You are true food and true drink. Ignite our hearts. Fill us with zeal for that this morning, I ask. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Come when you're ready.
0: Uh, Before we go, uh, on Tuesday, two days from now, Mark Crow is donating one of his kidneys to Andrew Martin, which is worth clapping for, and we should all do that right now. Uh, so to close our service down, I want to do three things. Uh, the Bible talks all over the place about outdoing one another and showing honor or honoring uh, people. I, I'm thinking about Hebrews thirteen seven, which says, um, like, honor your leaders, consider their way of life and imitate their faith. Um, And so if you're looking for ways to apply what Mark is talking about in this sermon by being filled with the Spirit, experiencing the love of God all throughout the passages that we're preaching through, Jesus says, hey, the way that people will know that you are my disciples is by the way that you love each other. Um, (laughs) um, Man, Mark Crow does not um, talk about that or do that abstractly. So if, if you're wondering how to apply ways that Jesus says love one another the way that I've loved you, look at what Mark is doing, which is actually a demonstration of the love of Jesus and is worth honoring and applauding and blessing and thanking. So Mark, we, we love you. And if you're wondering, you know, how do you apply what, what we're talking about in these passages or what does it look like to love each other? Maybe you don't have a kidney to donate. We, we all have areas where we can demonstrate costly sacrifice for the sake of others. So if you want to know what it looks like to be a disciple, like, look at what Mark is doing and find a way to imitate that in your life, which I'm pretty sure we can all do that today with the people in our lives and in our circles. Uh, so Mark and Rochelle, we love you guys and we're proud of you and we're so thankful for what the Lord is doing the Martin family um, is also just like deserving of unbelievable honor and thanksgiving Um, I'm thinking about all the ways that Andrew Martin just shows up here randomly throughout the week where I'll be working here and Andrew's just here doing something Um, Andrew is basically slave labor that keeps this church going that was Actually, probably yeah, actually. Andrew's great. Um, Andrew pours himself out in ways that are behind the scenes that no one is ever going to see or notice. The way that you experience his service and his leadership is because things just kind of work around here, and that's because he's here for hours, always throughout the week, um, helping people. He invests himself into people. He loves his family really well. He... Um, Is empowering of Holly and the role that she does here, and he is worth like honoring and celebrating. So, Andrew, we've prayed for you for a really long time, Um, and we love you, and we're so happy that this is happening. And uh, Holly, we love you. I can keep going, but I'm going to stop talking about how great they are. You guys should find a way to tell them how uh, thankful you are for them. What I want to do right now, also before we pray for them, is talk about ways that we can help Um, I think we have, uh, so we have a Facebook page that is created. I hear that you can take your phone out and scan that QR code. and It'll take you there right now. I'll give you some tangible ways to help signing up to bring meals uh, to both families as they're kind of going through recovery. Uh, We also want to do as much as we can to help offset medical costs for this, uh, which there are going to be medical costs for surgery, for ongoing care, especially for uh, the Martins. So we have a family in our church who's offered to do a... $6,000 kind of matching donation. So if you want to help, uh, there are ways that you can give and contribute on here. You can write a check uh, directly to the Martins. That's actually the most helpful way to do it. Drop it in our offering box. We'll make sure that they give it. Um, Let's try to go above and beyond to really show generosity and help them out as much as possible uh, to carry the load. So Don't just think that's cool. Don't just um, say, I love that, we're doing that. Uh, Please get on this website, this Facebook page today and figure out a way that you can help that makes sense for your family. So uh, with that, I want to invite the Crows up. I want to invite the Martins up. I want to invite maybe our staff up. Uh, We're technically supposed to be... um, quarantine and social distancing because of a surgery, so I won't invite everybody up. Uh, But what I'd love to ask you you guys to do is uh, join me in praying to stand, maybe extend your hands um, as a sign of respect, uh, as a sign of honor, as a sign of agreeing with um, what God is doing here. So let us pray for these families. So, Father, before uh, anything else, I want to give you honor. I want to give you praise. I want to give you glory that your spirit is alive, moving, is active, is actually doing things uh, in this world. You're not a God who is far off, who's disconnected, who doesn't care about us. You see us and you meet our needs in really tangible ways. So I am so thankful for um, this need that we've been praying for for a long time. Uh, we've been praying that you would heal Andrew, that you would um, give a Andrew a new kidney for a really long time. Uh, and so thank you. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you answer prayers. I God, I wanna pray for Mark and Rochelle and the entire Crow family. Will you fill their home, their hearts, with your spirit, with your presence? Will you bless them? Will you meet every single need that they have? I even asked that Mark's recovery time would be fast, uh, that he wouldn't be laid up for a long time, that uh, the surgery would go as well as it possibly can go, and that he would be able to um, be back on his feet, loving, leading his family, leading our church um, soon, sooner rather than later. Will you meet Rochelle uh, in areas where she is going to be tired and Um, potentially like lonely and discouraged, uh, help them. God, meet them, meet every single need that they have. And I pray that you would just um, use this time to bless their family, to strengthen bonds and relationships, strengthen their marriage, and may they look back on this time years from now as a time where you showed up and met them. Uh, And God, for the Martin family, uh, thank you. Uh, will you be with Andrew? Will you help the surgery to go well? Will you help his recovery to go well and any kind of ongoing treatment? Like extend the life and function of this kidney donation uh, forever. Like will you heal him fully. Will you give him energy? Will you help him to love, lead, serve his family really well, even better than he has been already through this uh, kidney donation? God, may your presence, may your spirit rest really heavily on the Martin household, uh, their kids, on Holly. Will you meet every single need they have, like physical, personal, emotional, financial? Uh, And I pray that this act would be something that isn't just a cool story for our church or for their families, um, but something that reverberates throughout our city, throughout this neighborhood, um, that the world would see, that our neighbors would see Jesus and the love and the life that he has called us into. So God, we love you. We love these people. We ask that you would bless them in every single way. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We can clap again. Let's clap again. All right. So honor them, help them. And there's a page. Jump on there. I'm just going to say for the benediction, Redeemer Fellowship, you've been loved deeply by the Father, Son, and Spirit. So go and love in the same way that you have been loved and all God's people said. See you next week.